CD8. Nanny, who had Grebo's ability to make herself instantly at home wherever she happened to be, sat down in the corner of the cell. I heard this story once, she said, where this bloke got locked up for years and years and he learned amazing stuff about the universe and everything from another prisoner who was incredibly clever and then he escaped and got his revenge. What incredibly clever stuff do you know about the universe, Githa Og? said Granny. Bugger all, said Nanny cheerfully. Then we'd better bloody well escape right now. Nanny pulled a scrap of pasteboard out of her hat, found a scrap of pencil up there too, licked the end and thought for a while. Then she wrote. Dear Jason, unt so whiter, as they say in foreign parts. Well, here's a thing. You're all mum doing time in prison again. I'm an old lag. You'll have to send me a cake with a file in it, and I shall have little arrows on me clothes. Just my joke. This is a sketch of the dungeon. I'm putting a X where we are, which is inside. Magrat is shown wearing a posh dress. She has been acting like a courgette. Also, Ink, Esme getting fed up because she can't get the lock to work, but I expect it will all be OK because the good ones win in the end, and that's us. And all because some girl don't want to marry a prince who is a duck who is really a frog. And I can't say I blame her. You don't want descendants who have got genes and start off living in a jam jar and then hop about and get squashed. She was interrupted by the sound of a mandolin being played quite, well, right on the other side of the wall and a small but determined voice raised in song. Si consuenti d'amori ventre dimo tondre turo How I hunger my love for the dining-room of your warm maceration, said Nanny, without looking up. Della della tozerento, odri tidren vontai. The shop, the shop, I have a lozenge, the sky is pink, said Nanny. Granny and Magrat looked at one another. Guarunto teltari belar pori di larientos. Rejoice, candle-maker, you have a great big... I don't believe any of this, said Granny. You're making it up. Word-for-word translation, said Nanny. I can speak foreign like a native. You know that. Mrs. Og, is that you, my love? They all looked up towards the barred window. There was a small face peering in. Cousin Under, said Nanny. That's me, Mrs. Og. My love, muttered Granny. How did you get up to the window? said Nanny, ignoring this. I always know where I can get my hands on a stepladder, Mrs. Ogg. I suppose you don't know where you can get your hands on a key. Wouldn't do any good. There's too many guards outside your door, Mrs. Ogg, even for a famous swordsman like me. Her ladyship gave strict orders. No one's to listen to you, or look at you even. How come you're in the palace guard, Cassanander? Soldier of fortune takes whatever jobs are going, Mrs. Og, said Casanunda earnestly. But all the rest of them are six foot tall, and you're of the shorter persuasion. I lied about my height, Mrs. Og. I'm a world-famous liar. Is that true? No. What about you being the world's greatest lover? 
There was a silence for a while. Well, maybe I'm only number two, said Casananda, but I try harder. Can't you go and find us a file or something, Mr. Casananda? said Magrat. I'll see what I can do, miss. The face disappeared. Maybe we could get people to visit us, and then we could escape in their clothes, said Nanny Og. Now I've gone and stuck the pen in my finger, muttered Granny Weatherwax. Or maybe we could get Magrat to seduce one of the guards, said Nanny. Why don't you, said Magrat as nastily as she could manage. All right, I'm game. Shut up, the pair of you, said Granny. I'm trying to think. There was another sound at the window. It was Legba. The black cockerel peered in between the bars for a moment and then fluttered away. Gives me the creeps, that one, said Nanny. Can't look at him without thinking wistfully of sage and onion and mashed potatoes. Her crinkled face crinkled further. Grebo, she said. Where'd we leave him? Oh, he's only a cat, said Granny Weatherwax. Cats know how to look after themselves. He's really just a great big softy, Nanny began, before someone started pulling down the wall. A hole appeared. A grey hand appeared and grasped another stone. There was a strong smell of river mud. Rock crumbled under heavy fingers. Ladies, said a resonant voice. Well, Mr. Saturday, said Nanny, as I live and breathe, saving your presence, of course. Saturday grunted something and walked away. There was a hammering on the door and someone started fumbling with the keys. We don't want to hang around here, said Granny. Come on. They helped one another out through the hole. Saturday was on the other side of a small courtyard, striding towards the sound of the ball. And there was something behind him, trailing out like the tail of a comet. What's that? Mrs. Goggle's doing, said Granny Weatherwax grimly. Behind Saturday, widening as it snaked through the palace grounds to the gate, was a stream of deeper darkness in the air. At first sight it seemed to contain shapes, but closer inspection indicated that they weren't shapes at all, but a mere suggestion of shapes, forming and reforming. Eyes gleamed momentarily in the swirl. There was the chittering of crickets, and the whine of mosquitoes, the smell of moss, and the stink of river mud. It's the swamp, said Magrat. It's the idea of the swamp, said Granny. It's what you have to have first before you have the swamp. Oh, dear, said Nanny. She shrugged. Well, Ella's got away, and so have we, and this is the part where we escape, yes? That's what we're supposed to do? None of them moved. They aren't very nice people in there, said Magrat after a while, but they don't deserve alligators. You witches, stand right there, said a voice behind them. Half a dozen guards were crowded around the hole in the wall. Life's certainly busier in the city, said Nanny, pulling another hatpin from her hat. They've got crossbows, warned Magrat. There's not much you can do against crossbows. Projectile weapons is lesson seven, and I haven't had that yet. They can't pull triggers if they think they've got flippers, said Granny, menacingly. Now, said Nanny, let's not have any of that, eh? Everyone knows the good ones always win, especially when they're outnumbered. The guards emerged. As they did so, a tall black shape dropped noiselessly from the wall behind them. There, said Nanny. I said he wouldn't go far from his mummy, didn't I? One or two of the guards realised that she was staring proudly past them and turned. As far as they were concerned, they confronted a tall, broad-shouldered man with a mane of black hair, an eye patch, and a very wide grin. 
he stood with his arms casually folded. He waited until he had their full attention, and then Grebo let his lips part slowly. Several of the men took a step backwards then. One of them said, Why worry? It's not as if he's got a weapon. Grebo raised one hand. Claws make no noise as they slide out, but they ought to. They ought to make a noise like, Sing! Grebo's grin widened. Ah, these still worked. One of the men was bright enough to raise his crossbow, but stupid enough to do it with Nanny Og standing behind him with a hatpin. Her hand moved so swiftly that any wisdom-seeking saffron-clad youth would have started the way of Mrs. Og there and then. The man screamed and dropped the bow. Grebo leapt. Cats are like witches. They don't fight to kill, but to win. There is a difference. There's no point in killing an opponent. That way they won't know they've lost. And to be a real winner, you have to have an opponent who is beaten and knows it. There's no triumph over a corpse, but a beaten opponent who will remain beaten every day of the remainder of their sad and wretched life. There's something to treasure. Cats do not, of course, rationalise this far. They just like to send someone limping off minus a tail and a few square inches of fur. Grebo's technique was unscientific and wouldn't have stood a chance against any decent swordsmanship, but on his side was the fact that it is almost impossible to develop decent swordsmanship when you seem to have run into a food mixer that is biting your ear off. The witches watched with interest. I think we can leave him now, said Nanny. I think he's having fun. They hurried towards the hall. The orchestra was in the middle of a complicated number when the lead violinist happened to glance towards the door and then dropped his bow. The cellist turned to see what had caused this, followed his colleague's fixed stare, and in a moment of confusion tried to play his instrument backwards. In a succession of squeaks and flats, the orchestra stopped playing. The dancers continued for a while out of sheer momentum and then stopped and milled about in confusion. And then, one by one, they too looked up. Saturday stood at the top of the steps. In the silence came the drumming, making the music that had gone before seem as insignificant as the chittering of crickets. This was the real blood music. Every other music that had ever been written was merely a pitiful attempt to sing along. It poured into the room, and with it came the heat and warm vegetable smell of the swamp. There was a suggestion of alligator in the air, not the presence of them, but the promise. The drumming grew louder. There were complex counter-rhythms, much more felt than heard. Saturday brushed a speck of dust off the shoulder of his ancient coat and reached out an arm. The tall hat appeared in his hand. He reached out his other hand. The black cane with the silver top whirred out of the empty air and was snatched up triumphantly. He put the hat on his head. He twirled the cane. The drums rolled, except that maybe it wasn't drums now, maybe it was a beat in the floor itself or in the walls or in the air. It was fast and hot, and people in the hall found their feet moving of their own accord, because the drumming seemed to reach the toes via the hindbrain without ever passing near the ears. Saturday's feet moved too. They beat out their own staccato rhythms on the marble floor. He danced down the steps. He whirled. He leapt. The tails of his coat whipped through the air, and then he landed on the foot of the step, his feet striking the ground like a thud of doom. And only now was there a stirring. There was a croak from the prince. It can't be him. He's dead. Guards, kill him. He looked around madly at the guards by the stairs. The guard captain went pale. 
Uh, uh, again? I mean, I, d- uh, I don't think... He began. Do it now! The captain raised his crossbow nervously. The point of the bolt wove figures of eight in front of his eyes. I said, do it! The bow twanged. There was a thud. Saturday looked down at the feathers buried in his chest and then grinned and raised his cane. The captain looked up with a certain terror of death in his face. He dropped his bow and turned to run and managed two steps before he toppled forward. No, said a voice behind the prince. This is how you kill a dead man. Lily Weatherwax stepped forward, her face white with fury. You don't belong here any more, she hissed. You're not part of the story. She raised a hand. Behind her, the ghost images suddenly focused on her, so that she became more iridescent. Silver fire leapt across the room. Baron Saturday thrust out his cane. The magic struck and coursed down him to earth, leaving little silver trails that crackled for a while and then winked out. No man, he said. There ain't no way to kill a dead man. The three witches watched from the doorway. I felt that, said Nanny. It should have blown him to bits. Blown what to bits, said Granny. The swamp, the river, the world. He's all of them. Oh, she's a clever one, that Mrs. Goggle. What, said Magrat. What do you mean, all of them? Lily backed away. She raised her hand again and sent another fireball towards the Baron. It hit his hat and burst off it like a firework. Stupid, stupid, muttered Granny. She's seen it doesn't work and she's still trying it. I thought you weren't on her side, said Magrat. I ain't, but I don't like to see people being stupid. That kind of stuff's no use. Magrat, garlic, even you can... Oh, no, surely not again. The Baron laughed as a third attempt earthed itself harmlessly. Then he raised his cane. Two courtiers tumbled forward. Lily Weatherwax, still backing away, came up against the foot of the main staircase. The Baron strolled forward. "'You want to try anything else, lady?' he said. Lily raised both hands. All three witches felt it, the terrible suction as she tried to concentrate all the power in the vicinity. Outside, the one guard remaining upright found that he was no longer fighting a man, but merely an enraged tomcat. Although this was no consolation, it just meant that Grebo had an extra pair of claws. The prince screamed. It was a long descending scream and ended in a croak somewhere around ground level. Baron Saturday took one heavy, deliberate step forward, and there was no more croak. The drums stopped abruptly, and then there was a real silence, broken only by the swish of Lily's dress as she fled up the stairs. A voice behind the witches said, Thank you, ladies. Could you step aside, please? They looked around. Mrs. Goggle was there, holding embers by the hand. She had a fat, gaily-embroidered bag over her shoulder. All three watched as the voodoo woman led the girl down into the hall and through the silent crowds. "'That's not right either,' said Granny under her breath. "'What?' said Magrat. "'What?' Baron Saturday thumped his stick on the floor. "'You know me,' he said. "'You all know me. "'You know I was killed, and now here I am. "'I was murdered, and what did you do?' "'How much did you do, Mrs. Goggle?' muttered Granny. "'We ain't having this.' "'Shh! I can't hear what he's saying,' said Nanny. "'He's telling them they can have him ruling them again, or embers,' said Magrat. 
They'll have Mrs. Goggo, muttered Granny. She'll be one of them Emmy Nonsies Greasies. Well, she's not too bad, said Nanny. In the swamp she's not too bad, said Granny. With someone to balance her up she's not too bad. But Mrs. Goggle telling the whole city what to do, that's not right. Magic's far too important to be used for ruling people. Anyway, Lily only had people killed. Mrs. Goggle had set them to chopping wood and doing chores afterwards. I reckon after you've had a busy life you ought to be able to relax a bit when you're dead. Lie back and enjoy it, sort of thing, said Nanny. Granny looked down at the white dress. I wish I had my old clothes on, she said. Black's the proper colour for a witch. She strode down the steps and then cupped her hands around her mouth. Cooey, Mrs Goggle. Baron Saturday stopped speaking. Mrs Goggle nodded at Granny. Yes, Miss Weatherwax? Mistress, snapped Granny, and then softened her voice again. This ain't right, you know. She's the one who ought to rule fair enough. And you used magic to help her this far, and that's all right. But it stops right here. It's up to her what happens next. You can't make things right by magic, you can only stop making them wrong. Mrs Goggle pulled herself up to her full impressive height. Who's you to say what I can and can't do here? We're her godmothers, said Granny. That's right, said Nanny Og. We've got a wand too, said Magrat. But you hate godmothers, Mistress Weatherwax, said Mrs. Goggle. We're the other kind, said Granny. We're the kind that gives people what they know they really need, not what they think they ought to want. Among the fascinated crowd, several pairs of lips moved as people worked this out. Then you've done your godmothering, said Mrs. Goggle, who thought faster than most. You did it very well. You didn't listen, said Granny. There's all sorts of things to godmothering. She might be quite good at ruling. She might be bad at it. But she's got to find out for herself, with no interference from anyone. What if I say no? Then I expect we'll just have to go on godmothering, said Granny. Do you know how long I worked to win? said Mrs. Goggle haughtily. Do you know what I lost? And now you've won. And there's the end of it, said Granny. Are you looking to challenge me, Mistress Weatherwax? Granny hesitated and then straightened her shoulders. Her arms moved away from her sides, almost imperceptibly. Nanny and Magrat moved away slightly. If that's what you want. My voodoo against your headology? If you like. And what's the stake? No more magic in the affairs of Genua, said Granny. No more stories, no more godmothers, just people deciding for themselves, for good or bad, right or wrong. OK. And you leave Lily Weatherwax to me. Mrs Goggle's intake of breath was heard around the hall. <sighs> Never. Hmm, said Granny. You don't think you're going to lose, do you? I don't want to hurt you, Mistress Weatherwax said Mrs. Goggle. That's good, said Granny. I don't want you to hurt me either. I don't want there to be any fighting, said Ella. They all looked at her. She's the ruler now, ain't she? said Granny. We've got to listen to what she says. I'll keep out of the city, said Mrs. Goggle, ignoring her. But Lilith is mine. Now, 
Mrs. Goggle reached into her bag and flourished the raggedy doll. See this? Yes, I do, said Granny. It was going to be her. Don't let it be you. Sorry, Mrs. Goggle, said Granny firmly, but I see my duty plain. You're a clever woman, Mistress Weatherwax, but you're a long way from home. Granny shrugged. Mrs. Goggle held up the doll by its waist. It had sapphire blue eyes. You know about magic with mirrors? This is my kind of mirror, Mistress Weatherwax. I can make it be you, and then I can make it suffer. Don't make me do that, please. Please yourself, Mrs. Goggle, but I'll deal with Lily. I should box it a bit clever if I was you, Esme, muttered Nanny. She's good at this sort of thing. I think she could be very ruthless, said Magrat. I've got nothing but the greatest respect for Mrs. Goggle, said Granny. A fine woman, but talks a bit too much. If I was her, I'd have had a couple of big nails right through that thing by now. You would too, said Nanny. It's a good thing you're good, ain't it? Right, said Granny, raising her voice again. I'm going to find my sister, Mrs. Goggle. This is family. She walked steadfastly towards the stairs. Magrat took out the wand. If she does anything bad to Granny, she's going to go through the rest of her life bright orange and round with seeds in, she said. I don't think Esme would like it if you did something like that, said Nanny. Don't worry, she doesn't believe all that stuff about pins and dolls. She doesn't believe anything, but that doesn't matter, said Magrat. Mrs. Goggle does. It's her power. It's what she thinks that matters. Don't you reckon Esme knows that, too? Granny Weatherwax reached the foot of the stairs. Mistress Weatherwax! Granny turned. Mrs. Goggle had a long sliver of wood in her hand. Shaking her head desperately, she jabbed it into the doll's foot. Everyone saw Esme Weatherwax wince. Another sliver was thrust into the raggedy arm. Slowly, Granny raised her other hand and shuddered when she touched her sleeve. Then, limping slightly, she continued to climb the stairs. "'I can do the heart next, Mistress Weatherwax,' shouted Mrs. Goggle. "'I'm sure you can. You're good at it. You know you're good at it,' said Granny, without looking around. Mrs. Goggle stuck another sliver into a leg. Granny sagged and clutched at the banister. Beside her, one of the big torches flamed. "'Next time,' said Mrs. Goggle. "'Right?' Next time, I can do it. Granny turned around. She looked at the hundreds of upturned faces. When she spoke, her voice was so quiet that they had to strain to hear. I know you can too, Mrs. Goggle. You really believe. Just remind me again, we're playing for Lily, right? And for the city? What does that matter now, said Mrs. Goggle. Ain't you going to give in? Granny Weatherwax thrust a little finger into her ear and wiggled it thoughtfully. No, she said, no, I don't reckon that's what I do now. Are you watching, Mrs. Goggle? Are you watching real close? Her gaze travelled the room and rested for just a fraction of a second on Magrat. Then she reached over carefully and thrust her arm up to the elbow into the burning torch. And the doll in Azulia Goggle's hands burst into flame. It went on blazing even after the witch had screamed and dropped it onto the floor. It went on burning until Nanny Og ambled over with a jug of fruit juice from the buffet, whistling between her teeth 
and put it out. Granny withdrew her hand. It was unscathed. That's headology, she said. The only thing that matters. Everything else is just messing about. Hope I didn't hurt you, Mrs. Goggle. She went on up the stairs. Mrs. Goggle kept on staring at the damp ashes. Nanny Og patted her companionably on the shoulder. How did she do that? said Mrs. Goggle. She didn't. She let you do it, said Nanny. You got to watch yourself around Esme Weatherwax. I'd like to see one of them Zen buggers come up against her one day. And she's the good one, said Baron Saturday. Yeah, said Nanny. Funny how things work out, really. She looked thoughtfully at the empty fruit juice jug in her hand. What this needs, she said, in the manner of one reaching a conclusion after much careful consideration, is some bananas and rum and stuff in it. Magrat grabbed her dress as Nanny strode determinedly dacrywards. Not now, she said. We'd better get after Granny. She might need us. Shouldn't think so for one minute, said Nanny. I wouldn't like to be in Lily's shoes when Esme catches up with her. But I've never seen Granny so agitated, said Magrat. Anything could happen. Good job if it does, said Nanny. She nodded meaningfully at a flunky who, being quite quick on the uptake, leapt to attention. But she might do something dreadful. Good. She's always wanted to, said Nanny. Another banana daiquiri, Mahatma coat. Chop, chop. No, it wouldn't be a good idea, Magrat persisted. Oh, all right, said Nanny. She handed the empty jug to Baron Saturday, who took it in a kind of hypnotic daze. We're just going to sort things out, she said. Sorry about this. On with the uh, motley, if anyone's got any left. When the witches had gone, Mrs. Goggle reached down and picked up the damp remains of the doll. One or two people coughed. Is that it? said the Baron. After twelve years? The Prince is dead, said Mrs. Goggle, such as he was. But you promised that I would be revenged on her, the Baron said. I think there will be revenge, said Mrs. Goggle. She tossed the doll onto the floor. Lilith has been fighting me for twelve years and she never got through. This one didn't even have to sweat. So I think there will be revenge. You don't have to keep your word. I do. I've got to keep something. Mrs. Goggle put her arm around Ella's shoulder. This is it, girl, she said. Your palace, your city. There isn't a person here who will deny it. She glared at the guests. One or two of them stepped backwards. Ella looked up at Saturday. I feel I should know you, she said. She turned to Mrs. Goggle. And you, she added, I've seen you both before. A long time ago? Baron Saturday opened his mouth to speak. Mrs. Goggle held up her hand. We promised, she said, no interference. Not from us? Not even from us. She turned back to Ella. We are just people. You mean, said Ella, I've slaved in a kitchen for years, and now I'm supposed to rule the city, just like that. That's how it goes. Ella looked down, deep in thought. And anything I say people have to do, she said innocently. 
There were a few nervous coughs from the crowd. Yes, said Mrs. Goggle. Ella stood looking down at the floor, idly biting a thumbnail. Then she looked up. Then the first thing that's going to happen is the end of the ball, right now. I'm going to find the carnival. I've always wanted a dance in the carnival. She looked around at the worried faces. It's not compulsory for anyone else to come, she added. The nobles of Genua had enough experience to know what it means when a ruler says something is not compulsory. Within minutes the hall was empty, except for three figures. But... But I wanted revenge, said the Baron. I wanted death. I wanted our daughter in power. Two out of three isn't bad. Mrs. Goggle and the Baron turned around. Death put down his drink and stepped forward. Baron Saturday straightened up. I am ready to go with you, he said. Death shrugged. Ready or not, he seemed to indicate, was all the same to him. But I held you off, the Baron added, for twelve years. He put his arm around Azulia's shoulders. When they killed me and threw me in the river, we stole life from you. You stopped living. You never died. I did not come for you then. You didn't? I had an appointment with you tonight. The Baron handed his cane to Mrs. Goggle. He removed the tall black hat. He shrugged off the coat. Power crackled in its folds. No more. Baron Saturday, he said. Perhaps. It's a nice hat. The Baron turned to Azulia. I think I have to go. Yes. What will you do? The voodoo woman looked down at the hat in her hands. I will go back to the swamp, she said. You could stay here. I don't trust that foreign witch. I do, so I will go back to the swamp, because some stories have to end. Whatever Ella becomes, she'll have to make it herself. It was a short walk to the brown, heavy waters of the river. The Baron paused at the edge. Will she live happily ever after, he said. Not forever, but perhaps for long enough. And so stories end. The wicked witch is defeated, the ragged princess comes into her own, the kingdom is restored, happy days are here again, happy ever after, which means that life stops here. Stories want to end. They don't care what happens next. Nanny Og panted along a corridor. Never seen Esme like that before, she said. She's in a very funny mood. She could be a danger to herself. She's a danger to everyone else, said Magrat. She... The snake woman stepped out into the passageway ahead of them. Look at it like this, said Nanny, under her breath. What can they do to us? I can't stand snakes, said Magrat quietly. They've got those teeth, of course, said Nanny, as if conducting a seminar. More like fangs, really. Come on, girl, let's see if we can find another way. I hate them. Nanny tugged at Magrat, who did not move. Come on. I really hate them. You'll be able to hate them even better from a long way off. The sisters were nearly on them. They didn't walk, they glided. Perhaps Lily wasn't concentrating now because they were more snake-like than ever. Nanny thought she could see a scale patterns under the skin. The jawline was all wrong. Magrat! One of the sisters reached out. Magrat shuddered. The snake sister opened its mouth. 
Then Magrat looked up and almost dreamily punched it so hard that it was carried several feet along the passage. It wasn't a blow that featured in any way or path. No one ever drew this one as a diagram or practised it in front of a mirror with a bandage tied round their head. It was straight out of the lexicon of inherited, terrified survival reflexes. "'Use the wand!' shouted Nanny, darting forward. "'Don't ninja at them! Use the wand! That's what it's for!' The other snake instinctively turned to follow the movement, which is why instinct is not always the keynote to survival, because Magrat clubbed it on the back of the head, with the wand. It sagged, losing shape as it fell. The trouble with witches is that they'll never run away from things they really hate. And the trouble with small furry animals in a corner is that, just occasionally, one of them's a mongoose. Granny Weatherwax had always wondered what was supposed to be so special about a full moon. It was only a big circle of light, and the dark of the moon was only darkness. But halfway between the two, when the moon was between the worlds of light and dark, when even the moon lived on the edge, maybe then a witch could believe in the moon. Now a half-moon sailed above the mists of the swamp. Lily's nest of mirrors reflected the cold light as they reflected everything else. Leaning against the wall were the three broomsticks. Granny picked up hers. She wasn't wearing the right colour, and she wasn't wearing a hat. She needed something she was at home with. Nothing moved. Lily, said Granny softly. Her own image looked out at her from the mirrors. It can all stop now, said Granny. You could take my stick, and I'll take Magrat's. She can always share with Githa. And Mrs. Goggle won't come after you, I've fixed that. And we could do with more witches back home, and no more godmothering, no more getting people killed so their daughters are ready to be in a story. I know that's why you did it. Come on home. It's an offer you can't refuse. The mirror slid back noiselessly. You're trying to be... Kind to me, said Lily. Don't think it don't take a lot of effort, said Granny in a more normal voice. Lily's dress rustled in the darkness as she stepped out. So, she said, you beat the swamp woman. No. But you're here instead of her. Yes. Lily took the stick out of Granny's hands and inspected it. Never used one of these things, she said. You just sit on it and away you go. With this one, you have to be running quite fast before it takes off, said Granny, but that's the general idea, yes. Hmm. Do you know the symbology of the broomstick? said Lily. Is it anything to do with maypoles and folk songs and such like? said Granny. Oh, yes. Then I don't want to hear about it. No, said Lily. I imagine you don't. She handed the stick back. I'm staying here, she said. Mrs. Goggle may have come up with a new trick, but that doesn't mean she's won. No, things have to come to an end, see, said Granny. That's how it works when you turn the world into stories. You should have never done that. You shouldn't turn the world into stories. You shouldn't treat people like they were characters, like they were things. But if you do, then you've got to know when the story ends. You've got to put on your red-hot shoes and dance the night away, said Lily. Something like that, yes. While everyone else lives happily ever after. Oh, don't know about that, said Granny. That's up to them. What I'm saying is you're not allowed to go round one more time. You've lost. You know a weatherwax never loses, said Lily. One of them learns tonight, said Granny. 
but we're outside the stories, said Lily. Me, because I am the medium through which they happen, and you, because you fight them. We're the ones in the middle, the free ones. There was a sound behind them. The faces of Magrat and Nanny Og appeared over the top of the stairwell. You need any help, Esme? said Nanny cautiously. Lily laughed. Here's your little snakes, Esme. You know, she added, you're really just like me. Don't you know that? There isn't a thought that's gone through my head that you hadn't thought too. There isn't a deed I've done that you haven't contemplated. But you never found the courage. That's the difference between people like me and people like you. We have the courage to do what you only dream of. Yes, said Granny. Is that what you think? You think I dream? Lily moved a finger. Magrat floated up out of the stairwell, struggling. She waved her wand frantically. "'That's what I like to see,' said Lily. "'People wishing. I never wished for anything in my life. I always made things happen. So much more rewarding.' Magrat gritted her teeth. "'I'm sure I wouldn't look good as a pumpkin, dear,' said Lily. She waved a hand airily. Magrat rose. "'You'd be surprised at the things I can do,' said Lily, dreamily, "'as the younger witch drifted smoothly over the flagstones. "'You should have tried mirrors yourself, Esme. "'It does wonders for a soul. "'I only let the swamp woman survive because her hate was invigorating. "'I do like being hated, you know. "'And you do know. "'It's a kind of respect. "'It shows you're having an effect. "'It's like a cold bath on a hot day.' When stupid people find themselves powerless, when they fume in their futility, when they're beaten and they've got nothing but that yawning in the acid pit of their stomachs. Well, to be honest, it's like a prayer. And the stories, to ride on stories, to borrow the strength of them, the comfort of them, to be in the hidden centre of them. Can you understand that, the sheer pleasure of seeing the patterns repeat themselves? I've always loved a pattern. Incidentally, if the Og Woman continues to try and sneak up behind me, I shall really let your young friend drift out over the courtyard, and then, Esme, I might just lose interest. I was just walking about, said Nanny. No law against it. You've changed the story your way, and now I'm going to do it mine, said Lily. And once again, all you have to do is go. Just go away. What happens here doesn't matter. It's a city far away, of which you know little. I'm not totally certain I could out-trick you, she added. But these two, they haven't got the right stuff in them. I could make jam of them. I hope you know that. So tonight I suggest... A weatherwax learns to lose. Granny stood silent for a while, leaning on her useless broom. All right, put her down, she said, and then I'll say you've won. I wish I could believe that, said Lily. Oh, but you're the nice one, aren't you? You have to keep your word. Watch me said Granny. She walked to the parapet and looked down. The two-faced moon was still bright enough to illuminate the billowing fogs that surrounded the palace like a sea. Magret, Githa, she said. Sorry about this. You've won, Lily. There ain't nothing I can do. She jumped. Nanny Og rushed forward and stared over the edge, just in time to see a dim figure vanish in the mists. All three figures left on the tower took a deep breath. It's a trick! said Lily, to get me off my guard. It isn't, screamed Magrat, dropping to the stones. 
She had her broomstick, said Lily. It don't work, it won't start, shouted Nanny. Right, she said, menacingly striding towards the slim shape of Lily. We'll soon wipe that smug look off your face. She halted as silver pain shot through her body. Lily laughed. It's true, then, she said. Yes, I can see it in your faces. Esme was bright enough to know she couldn't win. Don't be stupid, and don't point that silly wand at me, Miss Garlic. Old Desiderata would have defeated me long ago if she could. People have no understanding. We ought to go down there, said Megrat. She might be lying there. That's it. Be good. It's what you're good at said Lily as they ran to the stairwell. But we'll be back, snarled Nanny Og, even if we have to live in the swamp with Mrs Goggle and eat snakes' heads. Of course, said Lily, arching an eyebrow. That's what I said. One needs people like you around. Otherwise, one is never quite sure one is still working. It's a way of keeping score. She watched them disappear down the steps. A wind blew over the tower. Lily gathered up her skirts and walked to the end, where she could see the shreds of mist streaming over the rooftops far below. There were the faint strains of music from the distant carnival dance as it wound its way through the streets. It would soon be midnight, proper midnight, not some cut-price version caused by an old woman crawling around in a clock. Lily tried to see through the murk to the bottom of the tower. Really, Esme, she murmured, you did take losing hard. Nanny reached out and restrained Magrat as they ran down the spiral stairs. Slow down a bit, I should, she said. But she could be hurt. So could you if you trip. Anyway, said Nanny, I don't reckon Esme is lying in a crumpled heap somewhere. That's not the way she'd go. I reckon she just did it to make sure Lily forgot about us and wouldn't try anything on us. I reckon she thought we were... What was that sortian bloke who could only be wounded if you hit him in the right place? No one ever beat him until they found out about it. His knee, I think it was. We're a sortian knee, right? But we know you have to run really fast to get her broomstick going, shouted Magrat. Yeah, I know, said Nanny. That's what I thought. And now I'm thinking, how fast you go when you're dropping? I mean, straight down. Uh, I don't know, said Magrat. I reckon Esme thought it was worth finding out, said Nanny. That's what I reckon. A figure appeared around the bend in the stairs, plodding upwards. They stood aside politely to let it pass. "'Wish I could remember what bit of him you had to eat,' Nanny said. "'That's going to be nagging at me all night now.' "'The heel. "'Right. Oh, thanks. "'Any time.' The figure continued onwards and upwards. "'He had a good mask on, didn't he?' said Magrat eventually. She and Nanny sought confirmation in each other's face. Magrat went pale. She looked up the stairs. "'I think we should run back up and—' she began. Nanny Og was much older. "'I think we should walk,' she said. Lady Valentia d'Arrangement sat in the rose garden under the big tower and blew her nose. She'd been waiting for half an hour and she'd had enough. She'd hoped for a romantic tete-a-tete. He'd seemed such a nice man, sort of eager and shy at the same time. Instead, She'd nearly been hit on the head when an old woman on a broom, and wearing what looked as far as she could see through the blur of speed, like Lady Valentia's own dress, had screamed down out of the mist. Her boots had ploughed through the roses before the curve of her flight took her up again. And some filthy, smelly tomcat kept brushing up against her legs. 
and it had started off as such a nice evening. Hello, your ladyship. She looked around at the bushes. My name is Casananda, said a hopeful voice. Lily Weatherwax turned when she heard the tinkle of glass from within the maze of mirrors. Her brow wrinkled. She ran across the flagstones and opened the door into the mirror world. There was no sound but the rustle of her dress and the soft hiss of her own breathing. She glided into the place between the mirrors. Her myriad selves looked back at her approvingly. She relaxed. Then her foot struck something. She looked down and saw on the flagstones, black in the moonlight, a broomstick lying in shards of broken glass. Her horrified gaze rose to meet a reflection. It glared back at her. Where's the pleasure in being the winner if the loser ain't alive to know they've lost? Lilith backed away, her mouth opening and shutting. Granny Weatherwax stepped through the empty frame. Lily looked down beyond her avenging sister. You broke my mirror! Was this what it was all for, then? said Granny. Playing little queens in some damp city, serving stories. What sort of power is that? You don't understand. You've broken the mirror. They say you shouldn't do it, said Granny, but I reckoned, what's another seven years bad luck? Image after image shatters all the way around the great curve of the mirror world, the crack flying out faster than light. You have to break both to be safe. You've upset the balance. Oh, I did. Granny stepped forward, her eyes two sapphires of bitterness. I'm going to give you the hiding our ma'am never gave you, Lily Weatherwax. Not with magic, not with headology, not with a stick like our dad had. Uh, and used a fair bit, as I recall, but with skin. And not because you was the bad one, not because you meddled with stories. Everyone has a path they got to tread. But because, and I want you to understand this properly, after you went, I had to be the good one. You had all the fun. And there's no way I can make you pay for that, Lily, but I'm surely going to give it a try. But I, I, I'm the good one. Lily murmured, her face pale with shock. I'm the good one. I can't lose. I'm the godmother. You're the wicked witch, and you've broken the mirror. Moving like a comet, the crack in the mirrors reaches its furthest point and curves back, speeding down the countless worlds. You've got to help me put it... The, the images must be balanced, Lily murmured faintly, backing up against the remaining glass. Good, good. Feeding people to stories, twisting people's lives, that's good, is it? said Granny. You mean you didn't even have fun? If I'd been as bad as you, I'd have been a whole lot worse. Better at it than you'd ever dreamed of. She drew back her hand. The crack returned towards its point of origin, carrying with it the fleeing reflections of all the mirrors. Her eyes widened. The glass smashed and crazed behind Lily Weatherwax. And in the mirror, the image of Lily Weatherwax turned around, smiled beatifically, and reached out of the frame to take Lily Weatherwax into its arms. Lily. All the mirrors shattered, exploding outwards in a thousand pieces from the top of the tower, so that just for a moment it was wreathed in twinkling fairy dust. Nanny Og and Magrat came up onto the roof like avenging angels after a period of lax celestial quality control. They stopped. Where the maze of mirrors had been were empty frames. Glass shards covered the floor, and lying on them was a figure in a white dress. Nanny pushed Magrat behind her and crunched forward cautiously. She prodded the figure with the toe of her boot. Let's throw her off the tower, said Magrat. All right, 
said Nanny. Do it then. Magrat hesitated. Well, she said, when I said let's throw her off the tower, I didn't mean me personally throwing her off. I meant that if there was any justice, she ought to be thrown off. Then I shouldn't say any more on that score if I was you, said Nanny, kneeling carefully on the crunching shards. Besides, I was right. This is Esme. I know that for years anyway. Take off your petticoat. Why? Look at her arms, girl. Magrat stared, then she raised her hands to her mouth. What has she been doing? Trying to reach straight through glass by the looks of it, said Nanny. Now get it off and help me tear it into strips and then go and find Mrs. Goggle and see if she's got any ointments and can help us. And tell her if she can't, she'd better be a long way away by morning. Nanny felt Granny Weatherwax's wrist. Maybe Lily Weatherwax could make jam of us, but I'm damn sure I could knock Mrs. Goggle's eye out with the fender if it came to it. Nanny removed her patent indestructible hat and fished around inside the point. She pulled out a velvet cloth and unwrapped it, revealing a little cachet of needles and a spool of thread. She licked a thread and held a needle against the moon, squinting. Oh, Esme, Esme, she said as she bent to her sewing. You do take winning hard. Lily Weatherwax looked out at the multi-layered silvery world. Where am I? "'Inside the mirror.' "'Am I dead?' "'The answer to that,' said Death, "'is somewhere between no and yes.' "'Lily turned and a billion figures turned with her. "'When can I get out?' "'When you find the one that's real.' "'Lily Weatherwax ran on through the endless reflections. "'A good cook,' is always the first one into the kitchen every morning and the last one to go home at night. Mrs Pleasant damped down the fires. She did a quick inventory of the silverware and counted the terrines. She... she was aware of being stared at. There was a cat in the doorway. It was big and grey. One eye was an evil yellow-green, the other one pearly white. What remained of its ears looked like the edge of a stamp. Nevertheless, it had a certain swagger and generated an I-can-beat-you-with-one-paw feel that was strangely familiar. Mrs. Pleasant stared at it for a while. She was a close personal friend of Mrs. Goggle and knew that shape is merely a matter of deeply ingrained personal habit, and if you're a resident of Genua around Samedi Nuit More, you must learn to trust your judgment rather more than you trust your senses. Well now, she said, with barely a trace of a tremor in her voice, I expect you'd like some more fish legs. I mean, heads. How about that? Grebo stretched and arched his back. And there's some milk in the cool room, said Mrs. Pleasant. Grebo yawned happily. Then he scratched his ear with his back leg. Humanity's a nice place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. It was a day later. Mrs. Goggle's healing ointment really seems to work, said Magrat. She held up a jar that was half full of something pale green and strangely gritty and had a subtle smell which you could quite possibly believe occupied the whole world. It's got snakes' heads in it, said Nanny Og. Don't you try to upset me, said Magrat. I know the snake's head is a kind of flower, a fritillary, I think. It's amazing what you can do with flowers, you know. Nanny Og, who had in fact spent an instructive, if gruesome, half hour watching Mrs. Goggle make the stuff, hadn't the heart to say so. That's right, she said. Flowers. No getting anything past you, I can see that. Magrat yawned. 
They'd been given the run of the palace, although no one felt like running anywhere. Granny had been installed in the next room. Go and get some sleep, said Nanny. I'll go and take over from Mrs. Goggle in a moment. But Nanny, Githa, said Magrat. Hmm? All that stuff she was saying when we were travelling. It was so cold, wasn't it? Not wishing for things, not using magic to help people, not being able to do that fire thing. And then she went and did all those things. What am I supposed to make of that? Ah, well, said Nanny, it's all according to the general and the specific, right? What does that mean? Magrat lay down on the bed. Means when Esme uses words like everyone and no one, she does not include herself. You know, when you think about it, that's terrible. That's witchcraft, up at the sharp end. And now, get some sleep. Magrat was too tired to object. She stretched out and was soon snoring in a genteel sort of way. Nanny sat and smoked her pipe for a while, staring at the wall. Then she got up and pushed open the door. Mrs. Goggle looked up from her stool by the bed. You go and get some sleep too, said Nanny. I'll take over for a spell. There's something not right, said Mrs. Goggle. Her hands are fine. She just won't wake up. It's all in the mind with Esme, said Nanny. I could make some new gods and get everyone to believe in them real good. How about that? said Mrs. Goggle. Nanny shook her head. I shouldn't think Esme'd want that. She's not keen on gods. She thinks they're a waste of space. I could cook up some gumbo then. People'll come a long way to taste that. Hmm. Might be worth a try, Nanny conceded. Every little helps, I always say. Why not see to it? Er, uh, leave the room here. After the voodoo lady had gone, Nanny smoked her pipe some more and drank a little rum in a thoughtful sort of way, looking at the figure on the bed. Then she bent down close to Granny Weatherwax's ear and whispered, You ain't going to lose, are you? Granny Weatherwax looked out at the multi-layered silvery world. Where am I? Inside the mirror. Am I dead? The answer to that, said Death, is somewhere between no and yes. Esme turned, and a billion figures turned with her. When can I get out? When you find the one that's real. Is this a trick question? No. Granny looked down at herself. This one, she said. And stories just want happy endings. They don't give a damn who they're for. Dear Jason, etc. Well, so much for genuine. But I learned about Mrs. Goggle's zombie medicine, and she gave me the recipe, uh, <coughs> recipe, <coughs> told me how to make banana nana nana dacry, and gave me a thing called a banjo. You'll be amazed. And all in all, is a decent soul, I reckon, if you keeps her where you can see her. It looks like we got Esme back, but I don't know. She's acting funny and quiet, not like herself normally. So I'm keeping an eye on her just in case Lily pulled a fast one in the mirror. But I think she's getting better because when she woke up, she asked Magrat for a look at the wand and then she kind of twiddled and twisted them rings on it and turned the paw into a bunch of flowers. 
and Magrat said she could never make the wand do that, and Esme said no, because she wasted time wishing for things instead of working out how to make them happen. What I say is, what a good job Esme never got a wand when she was young. Lily would have been a picnic by comparison. Enclosed is a picture of the cemetery here. You can see folks are buried in boxes above ground, the soil being so wet, because you don't want to be dead and drowned at the same time. They say travelling broadens the mind. I reckon I could pull mine out my ears now and knot it under my chin. All the best, Mum. In the swamp, Mrs. Goggle, the voodoo witch, draped the tailcoat over its crude stand, stuck the hat on top of the pole, and fastened the cane to one end of the crosspiece with a bit of twine. She stood back. There was a fluttering of wings. Legba dropped out of the sky and perched on the hat. Then he crowed. Usually he only crowed at nightfall because he was a bird of power, but for once he was inclined to acknowledge the new day. It was said afterwards that every year on Samedi Nuit Moor, when the carnival was at its height and the drums were loudest and the rum was nearly all gone, a man in a tailcoat and a top hat, and with the energy of a demon, would appear out of nowhere and lead the dance. After all, even stories have to start somewhere. There was a splash, and then the waters of the river closed again. Magrat walked away. The wand settled into the rich mud, where it was touched only by the feet of the occasional passing crawfish, who didn't have fairy godmothers and aren't allowed to wish for anything. It sank down over the months and passed, as most things do, out of history, which was all anyone could wish for. The three broomsticks rose over Genua with the mists that curled towards the dawn. The witches looked down at the green swamps around the city. Genua dozed. The days after fat lunchtime were always quiet, as people slept it off. Currently, they included Grebo, curled up in his place among the bristles. Leaving Mrs. Pleasant had been a real wrench. "'Well, so much for La Ducha Vita,' said Nanny philosophically. "'We never said goodbye to Mrs. Goggle,' said Magrat. "'I reckon she knows we're going right enough,' said Nanny. "'Very knowing woman, Mrs. Goggle.' "'But can we trust her to keep her word?' said Magrat. "'Yes,' said Granny Weatherwax. "'She's very honest in her way,' said Nanny Og. "'Well, there's that,' Granny conceded. "'Also, I said I might come back.' Magrat looked across at Granny's broomstick. A large round box was among the baggage strapped to the bristles. "'You never tried on that hat she gave you,' she said. "'I had a look at it,' said Granny coldly. "'It don't fit.' "'I reckon Mrs Goggle wouldn't give anyone a hat that didn't fit.' said Nanny. Let's have a look, eh? Granny sniffed and undid the lid of the box. Balls of tissue paper tumbled down towards the mists as she lifted the hat out. Magrat and Nanny Og stared at it. They were, of course, used to the concept of fruit on a hat. Nanny Og herself had a black straw hat with wax cherries on for special family feuding occasions. But this one had rather more than just cherries. About the only fruit not on it somewhere was a melon. "'It's definitely very foreign,' said Magrat. "'Go on,' said Nanny. "'Try it on.' Granny did so, a bit sheepishly, increasing her apparent height by two feet, most of which was pineapple. "'Very colourful, very stylish,' said Nanny. "'Not everyone could wear a hat like that.' "'The pomegranates suit you,' said Magrat. "'And the lemons,' said Nanny Og. "'Eh? You two ain't laughing at me, are you?' said Granny Weatherwax suspiciously. 
Would you like to have a look? said Magrat. I have a mirror somewhere. The silence descended like an axe. Magrat went red. Nanny Og glared at her. They watched Granny carefully. Yes, she said, after what seemed a long time. I think I should look in a mirror. Magrat unfroze, fumbled in her pockets, and produced a small wooden-framed hand mirror. She passed it across. Granny Weatherwax looked at her reflection. Nanny Og surreptitiously manoeuvred her broomstick a bit closer. Hmm, said Granny after a while. It's the way the grapes hang over your ear, said Nanny, encouragingly. You know, that's a hat of authority if ever I saw one. Hmm, don't you think, said Magrat. Well, said Granny, grudgingly, maybe it's fine for foreign parts, where I ain't going to be seen by anyone as knows me. No one important, anyway. And when we get home, you can always eat it, said Nanny Og. They relaxed. There was a feeling of a hill climbed, a dangerous valley negotiated. Magrat looked down at the brown river and the suspicious logs on its sandbanks. "'What I want to know is,' she said, "'was Mrs. Goggle really good or bad? "'I mean, dead people and alligators and everything.' "'Granny looked at the rising sun poking through the mists. "'Good and bad is tricky,' she said. "'I ain't too certain about where people stand. "'Perhaps what matters is which way you face. "'You know,' she added, "'I truly believe I can see the edge from here.' Funny thing, said Nanny, they say that in some foreign parts you get elephants. You know, I've always wanted to see an elephant. And there's a place in Clatch, or somewhere, where people climb up ropes and disappear. What for? said Magrat. Search me. There's probably some cunning foreign reason. In one of Desiderata's books, said Magrat, she says that there's a very interesting thing about seeing elephants. She says that on the Stowe Plains, when people say they're going to see the elephant, it means they're simply going on a journey because they're fed up with staying in the same place. It's not staying in the same place that's the problem, said Nanny. It's not letting your mind wander. I'd like to go up towards the hub said Magrat, to see the ancient temples such as are described in Chapter 1 of The Way of the Scorpion. And they'd teach you anything you don't know already, would they? said Nanny, with unusual sharpness. Magrat glanced at Granny. Probably not, she said meekly. Well, said Nanny, what's it to be, Esme? Are we going home, or are we going off to see the elephant? Granny's broomstick turned gently in the breeze. "'You're a disgusting old baggage, Gither Og,' said Granny. "'That's me,' said Nanny, cheerfully. "'And Magrat Garlic?' "'I know,' said Magrat, overwhelmed with relief. "'I'm a wet hen.' Granny looked back towards the hub and the high mountains. Somewhere back there was an old cottage with the key hanging in the privy. All sorts of things were probably going on. The whole kingdom was probably going to rack and ruin without her around to keep people on the right track. It was her job.' There was no telling what stupidities people would get up to if she wasn't there. Nanny kicked her red boots together idly. Well, I suppose there's no place like home, she said. No, said Granny Weatherwax, still looking thoughtful. No, there's a billion places like home, but only one of them's where you live. So we're going back, said Magrat. Yes, but they went the long way and saw the elephant.
That is the end of Witches Abroad by Terry Pratchett, and it was read by Nigel Planer.